0: Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. We're finally back to Hebrews after a little Easter break. Now, the last time we were in Hebrews, we, uh, the writer of Hebrews introduced a topic to us, uh, that gr- the, the, the Jesus is the great high priest. He's going to continue that topic in, in uh, the next chapter, chapter 7, um, but this is a parenthesis in, the, in his argument. This is a little pause. He goes off track a little bit, and he directly addresses the people uh, to whom he's writing, and he gives us here, as he's talking about in the midst of this discussion of Jesus the high priest in the, in the line of Melchizedek breaks from that to give us one of the strongest warnings in Scripture. It's a very solemn passage that we have before us and and one that's somewhat controversial, but I hope to just slice through all that and get us to the place where we can take something home from this that would really encourage and help us in the Christian life. Well, let's hear God's Word from Hebrews 5.11 through 6.12. "'About this we have much to say.'" As I said, he was he's, he's talking about Jesus being the great high priest. "'About this we have much to say, "'and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. "'For though by this time you ought to be teachers, "'you need someone to teach you again "'the basic principles of the oracles of God. "'You need milk, not solid food. "'For everyone who lives on milk "'is unskilled in the word of righteousness "'since he is a child.'" But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and this we will do to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Well, prior to the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania was just another marathon runner. Uh, he's a, yes, he was an Olympic caliber runner. Uh, he had won marathons in, in Africa. He easily qualified for the Olympics, But in Mexico City, Aquari encountered an obstacle he had never faced before, the altitude, which caused his legs to cramp severely. So he was running the marathon, he's cramping up, but still he kept on running. And then about halfway through the race, he tangled up with some other runners and fell. He dislocated his knee, scraped up his leg and hurt his shoulder as he fell, but he didn't stop. With terrible injuries and cramped muscles slowing him, he labored on and finished the race. He was one of 75 people who started the race, and he was the last of 57 to finish it. When he finally entered the arena for the final lap, only a couple thousand people were there to see him complete the race. He finished dead last, more than an hour behind the winner. A cheer went up for this brave runner as he circled the now darkened track Although it seemed that Akwari had lost the race, everyone who saw him finish knew he was a winner. In in an interview later on, a reporter asked, why didn't you just quit when you were hurt and bruised and bloody and discouraged? Why didn't you you quit? Just give up. And he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And that's what he did there's a saying, well begun is half done. Maybe your mother told you that when you're cleaning your room or something like that. But well begun is half done. The same is true in the Christian life. The beginning is where we often place the emphasis, right? We we love when people are converted to the faith. Angels rejoice when one person repents. But it is finishing well that is more important. There must be a beginning. That's Certainly important. You've got to start somewhere. But enduring to the end is what really matters. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is the concern of the writer of this letter to the Hebrews. This is no surprise to those who who have heard us talking through the first uh, five chapters so far. We're continuously being reminded that uh, these folks are beleaguered Christians who are facing Uh, persecution for their faith and they're ready to give up their life before was so much easier when they followed judaism which was not outlawed in the roman empire christianity was outlawed and so they were being persecuted the hebrews here they had made a beginning but the things were becoming shaky their faith was shaky and they were ready to give up on Christ. And so the writer is encouraging them to finish well, endure to the end, because the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, that's a good question for us. How can we be sure that we end well as Christians? How can we be sure to endure to the end? Well, we have something of a blueprint here before us. And there's really just two things. First, you've got to have a beginning, and then you've got to endure to the end. But I'll give, give some details. That's somewhat simplistic, but that's going to frame my remarks here over the next few minutes. First, we need to have a beginning. You know, you, you've know, got to start somewhere. Verse 12 mentions that the milk of the Christian is the basic principles of the oracles of God. He says here, you need milk not solid food. Um, Now he's saying that, saying they should be beyond that now, but just because they should be beyond that doesn't mean they didn't need that at the beginning. Every baby that is born needs milk. Milk is a good thing. It's the basic building block of life. When you start start off life, you're born, that's the first thing you get so that you can become a healthy human being. And the writer here mentions the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's how he put it. The basic principles of, that God has revealed to us. 6-1, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, mentions a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, uh, instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. Um, verse 13 mentions the word of righteousness. These things... Or where you begin. You begin with repentance and faith. Repentance from dead works. Repentance from those things that bring death. Sin brings death. Sin exhibits itself in our words and our deeds and our attitudes. And repentance from that means we're turning away from those things, turning away from those things that bring death. And we're turning to God. We're putting our faith in God, trust in His provision for salvation, and his provision for following him. Everything that he gives us in our lives for our faith, for our life, uh, is from him. And this is a basic, that repentance and faith, that's where we begin. Uh, Instructions about washings, the word there is baptisms, um, and it, it there was lots of different, uh, in their experience, in their culture, there was lots of cleansing rites in Judaism and, and some in Christianity. But he's saying you need, to be, you need to learn the distinctions here and understand your own baptism, your own initiation into the, the covenant people of God, into the family of God. That's a, a basic building block. You know, we need to consider that we're part of the people of God by covenant. And that's what baptism points us to and reminds us of and is a sign and seal of. And so uh, he's trying to help them remember that, you know, the, one of the basics is that you're a part of the people of God and uh, you have God's mark on you in baptism. You belong to him and, and he is your God. So that's a basic building block of the Christian faith. Laying on of hands uh, is another thing that would have probably... This is hard to understand because there's so many times in when you would lay hands on people to, uh, to ord- ordain them to office. We'll have officer elections here in a, probably a month or so, a little more than a month. And uh, we'll lay hands on those elders and deacons to o- ordain and install them here as officers in the church. They're set apart for something for God uh, another uh, reason for laying on of hands in, in that p- time period was to be uh, uh, confirmed in the faith. When, when children were brought up in the, in the faith and been baptized, the next step was to have the elders lay hands on them and bless them. And, uh, and there are other reasons, healing. But to understand uh, God's anointing, God's blessing, this is a basic building block of the Christian faith. So these are things that we need to grapple with as believers, um, as, as human beings, because we were created for a relationship with God, and these are the basic uh, ways that we can relate to God, that we have to understand God. And the doctrine of Christ's priestly work is based upon these conceptions. That solid food of the mature believer comes from those basic building blocks. So, yeah, to grow a human being must have milk, but eventually solid food is introduced. Now, does it doesn't mean you stop drinking milk. I don't really like milk, but, you know, you get the point. Adults drink milk, too. We need to be nourished uh, in the things that we eat and drink. And we still eat the same kinds of food that we did when a ba- as a baby. It's just not pureed. Um, you know, it's presented to us in a, in a more solid form. So as adults, uh, we don't throw away the foundational truths. We build upon them as, as, as Christians. We have the basics, but we build upon those things. We don't throw them away. But we have to have the beginning. We have to have the foundation. You know, we, we, have, we have to start somewhere. Do you have that foundation? Have you made, have you made a beginning in the Christian life? There are people who have been in church their entire lives, but they have never made a real beginning in the Christian life. See, Have you repented from dead works? Have you turned from sin to the Lord? Have you put your faith in the Lord? Are you continuing to repent from dead works? Are you living day in and day out, trusting in the Lord and his promises to you and and his word that he's given to you and living in light of it? Are you living in light of your baptism? That you are in a covenant relationship with the Lord and his people. Does that matter to you? Is your relation in the family of God important to you? That was more important to Jesus than his own physical family. He said, these are my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, in the church. And are you living in the light of eternity? He talks about uh, judgment and, and resurrection from the dead and judgment, living with an eternal perspective on things that one day we will have to stand before the judgment seat. Uh, this this life as we know it is not all there is. If you're a believer, you're going to rise from the grave and you're going to have a glorified body in the new heavens and new earth and live an eternity there. Does that matter to you in the way that you live today? Are you looking forward to that? Because when you think about that, living with that eternal perspective Makes things not so important or so devastating in this life. You know, Paul was able to say, "These light and momentary afflictions are laying up for us, and the, the eternal weight of glory." You know, these, and he was stoned and left for dead, and shipwrecked, and beaten, and thrown in prison, and he calls those things light and momentary troubles, momentary afflictions, because they are in light of eternity. It's a brief period of time, our our lives, even if we live to 100 years or more. That's a speck in the grand scheme of things when you think eternally. So these are the things that are basics to the Christian faith. Have you started there? That's the question. Have you made a beginning in the Christian life? But he says we need to move on from that, build upon that. Verse 1 of chapter 6, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So elementary doctrine of Christ means the first word of Christ. Uh, Repentance, that's that repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Those are the foundational truths upon which we are to build. They're not destinations we have reached and are now leaving behind, but they're foundational truths that we're to build on. and and think about it this way a baby has to have someone feed it when it is born it's it's totally helpless but at some point it also learns to feed itself it learns how to use a spoon and then a fork and so forth and eventually can throw a knife in there as an adult I often have others serve me food and I gratefully take it in and uh, I've also learned to cook for myself So when someone comes to faith in Christ, yes, at the beginning, they need to be spoon-fed. They need someone to teach them the basic doctrines and help them to understand what it means to walk with Christ. But at some point, they also need to learn to come and get fed from worship and hearing the Word proclaimed and coming to Sunday school and Bible studies and hearing it taught. And that is going to someone's house and eating a meal. But they also need to learn to feed themselves. They need to, they need to, you need to spend time reading the Word and praying to the Lord on your own. That is how someone makes a beginning and builds on the foundation. There's means of grace, things that God has given to help us grow as Christians. So make a beginning and build upon it by being fed, going to where they're feeding people, church, feed yourself in the Word and in prayer. So that's the beginning. Have a beginning. Repent, turn to the Lord, relate to His people in covenant, and have an eternal perspective on things, the basics of the Christian life. But endure to the end. Are you building on those things? And that's the second thing. And how do we endure to the end? There's a couple of things to watch out for here, and that's really the thrust of this passage. It's a warning passage. And the first thing we see here is to beware of sluggishness. Now, Jesus told the parable of the four soils. Now, as I told you before, this is a kind of a controversial passage. It's a little hard to understand, but we should let Scripture interpret Scripture for us here. And Jesus told the parable of the four soils and you know, a sower, farmer went out and he sowed seed. Some fell on a the the, rock, the path that was trodden, and the wagons had gone over it, and it was hard packed soil. And the seed just sat on top of it, and the birds came and took it away. These are people that just don't even hear it. They may have heard somebody talk about the the Bible or, or Christ or the gospel, and but it just goes in one ear and out the other, and they, makes no impact it, it, at all. But then the two others. Uh, in the in the middle of his parable, one sown on rocky ground, one sown amongst the thorns. Uh, the rocky ground can't get too much root, so when the heat of the day, which is persecution and the difficulty of the Christian life comes, they fade and wither and die. Their faith does not take root. And that's what these Hebrews were, what was happening to them. They were uh, on the verge of becoming rocky soil Christians. They... They were not enduring in the heat of the persecution. We're more likely to be the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Are are you more concerned about the things of this world than you are about the things of God? That's what a, a thorny soil Christian is. And then finally Jesus talks about those who are sown amongst the good soils. They hear the word, accept it, and it bears fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. And that's what we want to be like. So we, we need to really be on the lookout for being thorny soil Christians and in our increasingly hostile environment in which we live, rocky ground Christians. And that's what he's warning against here, I believe. So beware of sluggishness, first of all, in verse eleven, he says uh, about this, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, and he uses that also in six twelve where it's translated sluggishness. It's the same word. Uh, they they are apathetic. Um, they're they're not being vigilant or vigilant or taking the time to wrestle with these things with Christianity and the claims of Christ and what it means for their lives. These things uh, uh, have, are not as important as being comfortable, as fitting into the world. Uh, they're not as important as accumulating wealth and security and bank accounts and those sorts of things. Other things have become more important to them, and so they have become sluggish and dull of hearing to the things of God. If you look at 5.12, they're described as they ought to be teachers by this point, but they need to be taught again and again these basic principles. They just still aren't really appropriating those things into their lives, and it's not making a difference. They don't understand how the gospel applies to their lives. Maybe they've identified with the church and even Christianity. They tend, but it's just not sinking in. They're not growing they're just hanging on. If we're not in a place where we're... If we, if we are in a place where we're not hungering to grow in our understanding of the gospel and especially how we live in response to that gospel, well, we are in a dangerous place. We need to be aware uh, of, of the danger that we're in. We need some solid food. We need, we need to continue... To, as it says in verse 14, to have our powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Powers of discernment. uh, How do we understand things? Trained comes from the word for gymnasium, gymnazo, is the Greek word there. So constant practice, a habit, spending time in the Word, spending time with the Lord, spending time with His people. Um, doing those things that help us grow as believers. And then we can learn good from evil, and this is a play on words. The Greek is kalu from kaku, good from evil. Think of it this way. When babies are born, they, you know, we always rejoice when they learn to crawl and then when they learn to walk, but then the parenting really kicks into high gear at that point because you've got to be on the watch out because they'll stick anything in their mouth or stick their fingers anywhere. You know the light socket and so forth, and you got to be on guard because they 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 don't know how to discern you know the things that they'll wander out into the road they they don't know what's good for them and what's bad for them. It's the same thing for christians um, We must learn to discern good from evil or we'll just end up in the ditch or run over by a car or electrocuted or burned or All those bad things that happen to toddlers when they're not being watched. We need to grow so we don't have to be watched so closely so that we can stand strong in the face of all the troubles and the temptations that come at us in the world. Go on to maturity, he says in verse 1. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. I think he means there to build on it, to press on is a good way to say it. Press on to, to maturity. Keep moving forward. Don't stop. And he says a wonderful phrase in verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. That brings in God's work to us. If God's per- permits is very important. Yes, he's rebuking them for their sluggishness, but in the same breath, he's, he's saying that they will mature if God permits. So, god 's sovereignty and man 's responsibility are both stressed here, as usual in the bible now i 've got some potted plants uh, in our in our yard i 'll say Sarah does uh, and um, and we know that if we don 't water them, they will die. Thankfully, it rains sometimes, so we get off let off the hook a bit but plants need to be watered and they need sunshine of at least a little bit in order for them to grow and I don't control the growth I can control the water I can control the sun sort of you know I can put them in the sun or take them out of the sun or put them in a shady place or in a sunny place depending on their needs but I don't dictate how many flowers come off, come out or how tall the plant gets or how much growth is there. That's up to God. The same is true in the Christian life. We don't control the growth, but we need to put ourselves in a position to grow. We need to get watered. And we need to get sunshine like a plant, And spiritually speaking. We need to spend time in the Word. We need to spend time in, in uh, fellowship with other believers. So beware of sluggishness. Do those things that cause for growth, that that put us in a position to grow. And then secondly, beware of apostasy. And I'll I'll just uh, briefly shoot through this, Um, and this is probably the the most controversial part. But he's describing here some people who have been in church, like I said. They've once been enlightened. That means they have some understanding of things They've tasted the heavenly gift that could refer to maybe they're participating in communion. Um, They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They've seen the Holy Spirit working in people's lives and changing people's lives. And maybe they've seen the gifts of the Holy Spirit on display. They've seen, verse 5, the powers of the age to come. Probably signs and wonders in that era, that apostolic era. They'd seen all these things, but yet they rejected those things. They've fallen away, verse 6. Um, They are trampling on God. They've heard it and they're rejecting Jesus. They're not coming to the foundation. They're not turning from sin and turning to the Lord. Even though they've heard these things, they're not embracing Jesus. So it's a stern warning. We need to be those who produce a a crop like Jesus said, where the the seed falls into the good soil. Verse 7. Land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. This is just a, a good tree bears good fruit. You know, land that doesn't produce is not, you know, not the good tree. you your life and what it looks like, even especially behind closed doors, is it marked by things that belong to salvation? You know, that's what he says, and I think that's an important uh, word there in verse 9. "'Though we speak in this way, you know, warning them sternly about falling, falling away, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation.'" Those people who fall away show by their actions things that do not belong to salvation. They show by their fruit that they don't have salvation. What are the things that belong to salvation? It's repentance, faith, trusting the Lord, living in light of eternity, living in relation to God's people and God's kingdom. But these people were marked by a life that was shown uh, their work, their love, serving the saints, that was the fruit that was coming out in their lives. So, in conclusion, verse 11, show the same earnestness, eagerness, devotion to have the full assurance of faith to the end. You know, Put yourself in a position continuously, be faithful to do that, not be sluggish, not be apathetic about these things, but put yourself in a position to grow and flourish in the Christian life. And and that's the way that you can have assurance. I have a poem to end on. It's a little lighter from this heavy subject. Two frogs fell into a can of cream, or so I've heard it told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, croaked number one, "'Tis fate, no helps around. "'Goodbye, my friends, goodbye, sad world.' And weeping still, he drowned. But number two of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise the while he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes. "'I'll swim a while at least,' he said, or so I've heard, he said. "'It really wouldn't help the world "'if one more frog were dead.' An hour or two he kicked and swam. Not once he stopped to mutter, but kicked and kicked and swam and kicked, then hopped out via butter. (laughs) Just a reminder to keep at it. Keep at it. Don't give up. Don't be like frog number one and just die. But keep paddling, keep striving for the Lord, and keep following him. There's such good things that the Lord has for us if we'll just endure and stick with it. You know, when I preach a sermon, I always say, where's the good news? You know, Tim, you're just telling them to work harder. Don't do that. But I am telling you today to endure and work and show eagerness because the Lord has got such good things for us, things of grace and mercy. He he has forgiveness. He has has, uh, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places for us. But if we ignore those things or despise those things, I mean, we are throwing away the the greatest gift there is. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again, as always, for your word. Um, Your word is life to us. It reveals to us your will, your ways, your person. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with it. And we can hold it in our hands. We can read it every day. And so, Lord, we pray that we would take this message, especially the gospel message, to heart and that we would live in light of these truths. And we pray, Lord, that we would have that eagerness to endure to the end and and have that assurance and enjoy all the blessings that you have for us. But most of all, Lord, we want Christ. We want to know you, Jesus, and to have a relationship with you because that's what it's all about, to be with you, our our creator, for eternity and fellowship. That's what we were made for, Lord, and we pray that we would... That we would understand that and, and, and taste and see that you are good and, and want more of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.